Good morning. This morning we are continuing the sermon series on leadership in the church. And as Matt mentioned, we're going to be talking about church membership this morning. Uh, Todd preached on just leadership in general. And then we looked specifically at the office of elder um, and then deacons last week. And so this week uh, we're looking at church membership. So turn with me in your Bibles. We'll be in Ephesians 4. We'll be reading verses 11 through 16. Starting verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that this morning you would use the preaching of the word to open our, open our ears to truth. Pray that you would strengthen our minds and our hearts so that we might better worship you and better serve your body. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, uh, we began... Uh, what we're calling the City Project. So the youth ministry did an in town. Rather than going away for a mission trip, the youth ministry actually stayed in town. Uh, we slept here in the church, and we served throughout the Athens area. And a lot of work got done. I mean, it was a tremendous amount of work. But what I love about mission trips is the team dynamic aspect. You see, we've had a, a large graduating senior class kind of move out. As they've left, they took a lot of gifts with them. They took a lot of leadership with them. They took a lot kind of out of the youth group. And so this was kind of our first big trip to kind of see what's the new group going to look like without uh, the leadership. And so the dynamics, you know, they tend to play out um, like this. You start out kind of as this uh, disjointed pile of parts, right? That first day of work, it was, a pr it was pretty disjointed. Right, we'd come back in the evenings and we would kind of debrief how the day went and talk about the next day and how, we, how we're working together. And what we saw is, you know, there's a lot of selfishness, a lot of uh, kind of lack of leadership, a lot of kind of not knowing what to do. And what you see over the length of that trip is this uh, disjointed group of parts really come together. Um, and rather than kind of everybody acting individually, they begin to, to work and serve as a unit. And so rather than 50 individual people, it, it really, on that last day, it was pretty beautiful to see it all come together and everybody working and serving, encouraging each other both physically, but also spiritually. And so this morning, I, I want to point out that that was a very small picture of what the church looks like. You see, the, the, we start out as disjointed, um, but as each member begins to see how they fit into the body and serve, the body begins to grow and begins to build itself. 
And so in the context of this leadership uh, sermon series, I want you to point out that God has given the church faithful leaders to equip the congregation so the church members can do the work of ministry and thereby the church builds itself up. So the question I want to answer this morning is how does the church build itself up? And so my answer, I've got two answers from the text this morning and there'll be the both points. The point one will be each member is to employ their gifts for ministry. And then answer two is each member is to strive for spiritual maturity. So let's look at this first point. Each member is, to, is equipped to use their gifts for ministry. And so in verse 11, Paul says, he gave the apostles, he being Christ. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers for this purpose to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, the way that that reads uh, in older English translations of this passage, the translators put an unfortunate comma into it. A comma, that's a negatively affects the reading of the passage. In fact, I think it it actually doesn't do us any help. Uh, It kind of contradicts other areas of scripture. With the comma, this passage reads like Christ gave the leaders of the church, one, to equip the saints, comma, two, to do the work of ministry, comma, and three, to build up the body. See, without the comma, if you're using the ESV in there, without the comma, it reads Christ gave the leaders of the church to equip the saints so the saints can do the work of the ministry and thereby build up the church. The idea of the priesthood of all believers is in view here. The idea that since Christ has atoned, he as our high priest has atoned for the sins of God's people. He alone represents us before God. And we are all strengthened by his spirit to minister to one another and to the world. Think of it as every member ministry. The idea that every member ministers. Every believer is endowed with gifts from the Holy Spirit. And these gifts are not for your own personal benefit. Think about that. You've been given gifts by the Holy Spirit, and they're not for your personal benefit. They're actually there given so that you can serve the body. First Peter says this, First Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. This morning, we're, we're receiving new members or recognizing new members. And so as new members come in, they take vows. One of those vows is that they will support the worship and the work of the church. And so if you've joined the church, you've committed to this. You've committed this idea that everyone is here to serve and everyone has a ministry within the church. So we're to support the worship and the work of the church but what if it were the other way around? What if the first comma, what if the first reading with the, with the comma were correct? Like think how that would play out in the life of the church. If it truly was the role of only the shepherds, evangelists, and teachers to do the work of the ministry. Sometimes we have that in our, our thinking, right? We think, you know, the, the paid staff or the officers or the pastors, they're here to do ministry and, and we get to receive it. What if it were really uh, that way? It would be a bottleneck. In other words, our ability to minister as a church would be regulated by the ability and bandwidth of our leaders. And so we'd bottle up pretty quick, right? See, the officers here at Redeemer are godly men. 
And I think they are sharp, but it would be impossible for them to do alone all that God has called Redeemer to do. It would be impossible. Dale Moody says it this way, it is better to put 10 men to work than to do the work of 10 men. I think this is how God has designed and laid out the church. In his wisdom, he has given the leadership the task of equipping the saints. And that word equip comes from the same word used when, when it describes mending of nets or the setting of bones. We should understand it as putting of things in order as they were meant to be, to be pulled together, strengthened, supplied with the items needed for a particular purpose. When fishermen mend their nets, what they're doing is they're, they're getting, re- get the, getting them ready for the work to be done the next day. See, the officers of the church are equipping the congregation each week to be ready for the work to be done. But what is the work? Well, I mean, the answers are endless, right? As as the giftings of the church and as the, the places the Lord has put you, the answers are quite endless. But let me just name a few. One of those is just getting involved in ministries that the church supports. Downtown ministries, Our Daily Bread, Chosen for Life. The work includes being a kind and gentle parent. That's part of your calling as a parent. You're doing the work of ministry within your family. It looks like serving the nursery. It looks like serving on deacon teams. Currently, as Matt mentioned, we're in the process of gearing up for the fall. And so July for us is a big volunteer push. We, We need folks to jump in. And so in our worship guide... There's that link to the website, and it'll show you some of the immediate needs we have. Currently, it's, it's Sunday greeters and visitor team. We need community group host homes. We need nursery helpers. We need help with the hospitality team, men's ministry, children's ministry. There's a lot going on in the life of the church, and if it's just up to the leadership to get it done, it's probably not going to happen. In fact, I know it's not going to happen because it's impossible. So we need the body to use the gifts that they've been endowed with the members of the body, to, to serve. So typically we can split these gifts into two categories. I think of it as speaking gifts and as serving gifts. Speaking gifts, formally, uh, speaking gifts include teaching and shepherding, which is primarily the responsibility of the elders. But this happens informally all over the place. These things happen within the congregation. Teaching Sunday school, leading a community group. Shepherding can happen one-on-one as iron sharpens iron, as Scripture calls us to do. The other is serving gifts. And so formally, again, the serving gifts are taken, up, taken on by the diaconate. But as, as with the speaking gifts, uh, serving gifts happen informally, caring for the needs of the congregation, physical needs, and those in our community ought to be something we, we all share in. Some of you are really good at this. Whether it's finance or hospitality, even manual labor, use manual labor, use these gifts for the good and the benefit of the church. So the leadership has a big task. We must be sure that we are doing a good job of equipping. So if you're in leadership, part of our evaluation of ourselves is how are we doing equipping the saints? We want to celebrate, you know, when we are doing well, but we also want to recognize areas that we're not doing that good of a job in and begin to move into those areas and equip the body. So part of your role as a congregation is to choose those leaders wisely. This nomination process that we are in, 
Uh, you know, if you notice on, on the form, I'm glad this is in here. At the bottom it says, please check here to confirm that you have prayerfully considered the life and the witness of the man listed above. Don't write a name down on this unless you have done that, unless you have prayerfully considered their life and witness. Choose men who are already doing this, who are already living these gifts out. Not someone who could potentially do this, but someone who is already exercising these gifts informally. Be good stewards of the nomination and election process. The ability to equip is a big reason that Scripture sets the qualifications for elders and deacons high, which we saw in the last two weeks. So choose men that are capable of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, or I believe the church will suffer. John Benton says this, he says, It is very rare for the spirituality of a group of Christians to exceed that of its leaders. In verse 16, it says, Joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each member or each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When every part is working properly, the body builds itself. But the, also, the opposite can also be true. When every part is not working properly, the body does not build itself. And so how do we know if a part is working properly or not? Well, Paul, I appreciate he doesn't give us a punch list, right, that we can look at on Sunday mornings, uh, a checklist that will tell us and how, allow us to evaluate whether the church is being built up. What Paul gives us is a better criteria, a better measurement of each part, and he lays out a picture of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is the result of being equipped. The health of the church depends on the health of the members. And so that brings us to point two. Each member is to strive for spiritual maturity if we are to build the church up, if the body is going to build itself up. So the leadership is to equip so that the work of ministry can be done, but when is it done? Paul says in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. This idea of spiritual infants. Paul does not want us to remain spiritual infants. He recognizes, you know, as an individual believer matures in Christ, the body is built up and the church builds itself. And so this idea of being tossed to and fro, you know, by the winds of doctrine, right? He's saying we we need to press forward and mature as believers so that we press forward and mature as a church. Paul is speaking to believers in Christ in this passage. So if you're here this morning without Christ, I want you to know that apart from Christ, you can never really fully experience this maturity. Only those who are united to Christ can be fully united to his body and be built up to the point of full maturity. So I urge you this morning to put your faith in Jesus and be saved. Be united to Christ and become part of the body. You will find no greater purpose in this world than to serve him by building up the church. But for those that are believers, I think you know this, spiritual maturity takes time. It's a process. We call it progressive sanctification, and it will last your entire life. It is the process of the Spirit producing in believers a gradual increase in Christ-likeness. 
the more we mature, the more Christ-like we become. And so the next passage in Ephesians, uh, Paul will describe this as putting off the old self, right? Putting off the old sin patterns and ways and putting on the new self, and that is Christ-likeness and holiness. So we started a garden finally, and we've always had this idea of wanting to be gardeners, and we've never really been able to pull it off. And so we started this small garden. Uh, but in our front yard, we have these massive oak trees. In our backyard, we have this tiny little garden. And so as I sat there and look at these two, you've got these massive, I, I really believe there's a couple white oaks, I think, that are at least 100 years old. I mean, massive beautiful things. And we were planting these (laughs) string beans. I was looking at the back and it says, you know, mature in 60 days. So I was looking at 100 years, 60 days. To me, the white oaks are far more impressive than string beans. And so spiritually speaking, we are striving for white oaks, not 60-day-old string beans. And so in order to mature, we have to put ourselves into a position to be equipped, right? It's the leadership's job to equip, but it's also the role of the congregation to put themselves into a position of being equipped. And so one of the challenges of a year-long pandemic, in my mind, is that COVID has robbed us of some of these avenues that we have for equipping. But as things return to normal, I want to challenge you to take full advantage of these equipping avenues that are in place. So it might be helpful to think of them in three categories. I think of them in, in terms of large group, small group, and one-on-one. So large group primarily would be corporate worship here on Sunday morning. This is the primary way that the church is equipped is through corporate worship. So Sunday morning is not the place to get off on cultural tangents or personal hobby horses, but rather we come to have our hearts reoriented every single week to have our nets mended, if you will, so that our affections are once again fixed on Christ. And then we are sent out to do the work of ministry, to bring the gospel to our spheres of influence, to serve the needs both physically and spiritually of the people in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our families, our favorite restaurants, whoever it is that the Lord puts into your field of vision. Hal refers to Sunday morning, I like this, as as an aircraft carrier where we land, we refuel, and we repair to launch back out to do the work of ministry during the week. Another avenue is small groups. So Sunday school uh, is returning in August. Now, historically, Sunday school, it has been one of the most effective ways to get systematic theology and Christian living, Uh, to be taught and trained in those areas. And it's more interactive Uh, It can be more topical. And so my prayer is that post-COVID, this will be a real strong point of Redeemer again. That Sunday school will be an important piece of our maturity and growth as a body. I know I have a personal desire to see the youth Sunday school expand. uh, Because selfishly, I want the opportunity to go deeper in equipping students. And so we're going to be making a big push for Sunday school uh, this fall. Another is community groups. So this is an obvious way to do small groups. Uh, and I think this is a real strength at Redeemer, even through COVID. 
right? Even through uh, times of being separate, the, you know, this idea of the smaller groups of pe- people getting together all around the city. So if you're not in a community group, um, I cannot stress how important this is for the spiritual growth of our church. Those also, you know, again, we'll be cranking those up this fall, so be on the lookout for, for signups for those. Uh, the other avenue is one-on-one. Uh, from a congregational standpoint, think of this in two ways. I think of this as mentor relationships. I've had the privilege of having men in my life who have, who have mentored me. And I've learned an incredible amount in a short amount of time uh, from these men because they've, they've walked before me. They've walked with the Lord in, in places I have never been. And they've been a good uh, sounding board. They have been uh, you know, very helpful for my growth as a believer. And so look for, look for folks in your life who are like that. Don't be afraid to ask. I don't know why we're afraid to ask these kind of questions. Will you mentor me? Um, and, and kind of formalize that. There's informal mentors all, all the time. But don't be afraid to formalize that and say, I, I want you to be my, my mentor. Another one is prayer and accountability relationships. This is peers, like two, two folks getting together, two, three, or four folks getting together to sharpen one another. Paul says in verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. And so part of that is having people in your life who will speak the truth in love. You know, when Sage's dad passed away years back, we found out that he'd been meeting with another guy for years. Three days a week, they would meet before, you know, every morning for prayer and accountability. And so even in his later years, he was being poured into and being equipped and being shepherded by a good friend of his. Uh, and they were committed to each other in that way. And so, again, this is one of those things that we're, we're often afraid to ask. Would you get together with me and commit to kind of doing this and walking uh, life on life together? See, Paul realized that we, he was not fully mature until the entire body was mature. So he knew that the saints needed to be equipped so that the body can, build up, can, can be built up. God's people need to be gathered, each member maturing while serving the church. And it's a progress that doesn't stop. There was a musician, Pablo Pazal, when he was 95 year, years old, he was, he was described as one of the, you know, the best cello players that had ever lived. And at 95 years old, someone asked him, Pablo, why do you continue to practice six hours a day. And he said, well, I think I'm making progress. And see, he saw the value just continuing to press forward and maturing in what God has called us to do. The fullness of Christ Paul is describing won't be obtained until we are fully glorified in heaven. But it is the work here in this present earth that is preparing us for that day. The kingdom of God is still growing. We are still maturing. Leaders need to continue equipping and the gospel of Jesus needs to be proclaimed to the world. We are to grow up together in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for your saving work. Your death and resurrection made it possible for us to be united with you and united as a body. And as your people, we pray that you will strengthen us this morning to serve your kingdom. Lord, as we go out today, we pray that uh, you would teach us what the ways you have gifted us and the ways that we can serve, the ways that we can benefit the body so that we as a body grow up into the fullness of Christ together. 
And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.